0: Everyone and Welcome to Functional Fertility, the podcast designed to demystify your hormones, up-level your lifestyle, and supercharge your fertility potential.
1: And it's, it really is a big paradigm shift for a lot of us to think about our body as like, it's just this nourishing vessel and, and this place where in reality, your future baby wants to just like snuggle in and doesn't care if you have a belly pooch or whatever it is. And so, again, like having that shift in mindset towards this body is not just to look good or whatever, you know, we tell ourselves. It's really to create a human being if that's our goal.
0: I'm your host, Dr. Kalia Waddles. And today we're addressing an important and popular question in the fertility space What do I do if my period has gone missing? To help us get to the bottom of this investigation, I'm so excited to bring in an expert period recovery detective, Dr. Miranda Naylor. Dr. Naylor is a certified functional medicine doctor specializing in women's health and fertility. She's really passionate about supporting her patients through every stage of life, beginning with their menses all the way through menopause. A brilliant mind in functional medicine, it's an honor to have her here today.
1: Welcome to the show, Dr. Naylor. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor.
0: Well, this is so important. And I'm so glad we're talking about this because you and I both see patients who are in this preconception window. They're ready to get pregnant. They come to us and say, what's my first step? Mm -hmm. And we say, this is so exciting. Let's start getting to know your menstrual cycle. And then we can uncover this. Well, now that you mention it, it's gone missing. It's MIA. So this is a really important topic for us to discuss today it can be super frustrating. So will you just start us out today by walking us through some of the most common causes of amenorrhea, otherwise known as a missing period?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And while this isn't, you know, just a fertility issue, it is such a common fertility concern because we really start to address this or care about our menstrual cycle so much more when we're trying to conceive. Um, so absolutely. Well, so to start off, there are different types of amenorrhea, as you know, there's primary amenorrhea where you've never had a period and there's secondary amenorrhea where you've had a period and then it's gone missing. So we'll focus on that because primary amenorrhea is a little bit of a different beast. Um, most commonly with secondary amenorrhea, it's anovulation. So, you're not ovulating for some reason, and then you're not getting a period in response to that. Um, some of the most common causes of that are hypothalamic amenorrhea, uh, which we're kind of focusing on today, um, as well as PCOS, which is really more irregular cycles more typically. But women could be having a missing cycle or a missing period for a few months. Um, perimenopause or menopause, um, and then you know premature or, or ovarian failure which is very similar um basically early menopause in a way um and then you know things like elevated prolactin can be a factor uh, or if we're lactating breastfeeding um but those are the most typical causes that we see
0: very helpful and i i really want to take a deep dive into hypothalamic amenorrhea because i think if you're not familiar with that term it sounds quite complicated and maybe even a little intimidating. Will you give us just a little primer about what that even means, hypothalamic amenorrhea?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's a big word, basically meaning (laughs) that our body is stressed out to the point where it's cutting off reproduction. So this is sort of an ancestral response where um, our body is almost trying to conserve resources or just it, it's like its it knows when it's a bad time to conceive. So again, you know, long, long time ago, if there was a time of, you know, war or famine, um, a big stressor, then it was not a good time to reproduce. Um, if food was in shortage, a woman could die if she got pregnant. So, you know, our body is pretty smart in this way. Um, of just knowing when it isn't a good time, but unfortunately in today's society, you know, we have all these different types of stressors and it doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have food available to us or that we are in crisis, but our body thinks that we are. Um, and so it just, you know, kind of shuts down this part of us in our reproduction.
0: Super interesting. I had a professor when I was in college who was kind of talking about this scenario that modern threats are different. And she said, look at all of you female students sitting here all day under this fluorescent lighting, just getting your circadian rhythm all disoriented. Even that can kind of feed back into our brain as a perceived threat. And I have never stopped thinking about that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, our modern lifestyles are a lot on our systems. I mean, even if you think about like social media and we're scrolling and we're scrolling and we have all these different like things always pinging us and, you know, getting our attention, even that it's like dividing our uh, attention and scattering our, our focus and our nervous system. So yeah, there are a lot more threats as it were in our modern day.
0: More pieces to this puzzle. I think we, we tend to create this stereotype of the person who will have hypothalamic amenorrhea. And we think of this super thin elite athlete, but that's not always the case. Will you help us bust this myth?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. This is a really common misunderstanding. And it really honestly is sort of a a big barrier with a lot of women getting diagnosed. Um, So yeah, the stereotypical athlete um, or someone who has an eating disorder, like a very severe eating disorder um, is typically who who's thought of with uh, HA. In reality, it could be any woman who has a lot of chronic stress, a lot of busyness, maybe anxiety, again, those perceived stresses, um, someone who's under fueling or having some sort of restrictive diet. And this could be, you know, maybe they're gluten intolerant. Maybe they don't tolerate some foods or they're having a negative reaction to foods and they're trying to do what's best for them, but it's just too restrictive for their body or they're, they're stressing about food a lot. Um, just the worry about food is one that I really commonly see, um, frequent exercise. So it doesn't have to be necessarily to an athletic level, but, you know, frequent, usually high intensity exercise. So running, you know, hit workouts, uh, CrossFit, something like that is pretty common. Um, and oftentimes there is some concern with weight, you know, maybe being a little bit underweight, not always though. Um and it could even be like a rapid weight change um or you know, pretty significant weight loss that can also trigger this response in our our body.
0: Mm, yeah, very insightful. The midwife who delivered my first daughter as mm. I was kind of preparing for pregnancy, she said, "You really want to start from this place of fullness. And so I think about this in terms of energy balance and that's really, I think at the root of what you're saying, it could be lots of exercising, it could be restrictive diet, but it really is about an energy balance. And I always want to cultivate this sense of fullness in the preconception phase.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There's again, back to our like modern day society, there's this like restriction focus of like what foods are bad for me what should I eliminate what should I you know like what should I avoid what should I not do in reality it's like we need so much more than we're giving ourselves and so absolutely it's that energy balance um the the balance of the energy expenditure like exercise and what we're nourishing ourselves with um as well as just that overall stress response
0: yes the mental emotional spiritual component as well Mm -hmm. has a part to play here Absolutely. You mentioned a few moments ago that, of course, this comes up when we're thinking about getting pregnant because all of a sudden we have this increased awareness on our cycle and what's going on and what's our cycle length. But there's really repercussions that extend beyond just our fertility health. And I've had patients tell me, you know, before they're trying to get pregnant, well, I actually don't mind not having my period. It's kind of nice. It's kind of convenient. I don't have to worry about it. But can you talk to us about? some of the important long-term effects of hypothalamic amenorrhea and why we might want to restore our period, even if we're not trying to get pregnant right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, while it is convenient to not have a period, there are some really severe actual like health concerns with not having a period. Um, One of the big reasons is it's a very low estrogen state. state. Um, And without estrogen, we're not getting um, the signals that a lot of our body parts need. So like our bone health, is one area that can be really impacted. So like osteopenia, osteoporosis, basically thinning of the bones, um, is a really common one, especially with prolonged amenorrhea. Um, cardiovascular health is also a big issue. You know, our our heart and our blood vessels can start to suffer um in this long-term amenorrhea as well. Um, our brain, which we don't really think about, I mean, we don't really think about until we start to have issues with our brain. Uh, We kind of take it for granted, but we can have like cognitive issues, brain fog, um, trouble focusing, and maybe just not having the same mental performance that we're aiming for. Um, As well as, you know, gut health issues. Um, These aren't always as as noticeable. I feel like they're they're more common, but maybe fly under the radar for a lot of people. But just like maldigestion, just not able to process food normally, uh, maybe having dysbiosis in response to that. Um, and as well as just our nervous system, again, going back to that, that stress response, our nervous system is basically what is like taking in all the information from our, our environment and, and processing that. And we're, our nervous system is basically, or at least our autom- autonomic nervous system is either in fight or flight or rest and digest and heal and reproduce. So if we're constantly in that sympathetic or that fight or flight, then that has a long-term effect as well, where, our nervous system has a harder time getting out of that we sort of wire our brain to be in that fight or flight state and so suddenly we start having like ongoing anxiety and feel really burned out and and wondering why we can't just turn that off and it's because our brain just sort of wired itself to having that be reality um so that's a like more common but again like very underdiagnosed concern that can happen happening
0: yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up. I probably say this in every single episode I've ever recorded that the the case that you're making is that really supporting our fertility and all the things we do to have great reproductive health, it really extends into so many other body systems. Like you just mentioned, the cardiovascular system, our cognitive function, our bones. And I always come back to this because I think it's such a motivating factor that this is about creating and cultivating the health so that you have this great, smooth pregnancy and a healthy baby, but really so that you have the the freedom to enjoy that family you worked so hard for.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree. The focus really for me is the same, like get that healthy child that, that can thrive throughout its life, but then also set yourself up for good health, you know, throughout motherhood and beyond really. Um, And that's what I love about functional medicine, especially in the fertility space is that, We are looking at all of those pieces and, you know, our reproduction is sort of like the telltale of like, if there's a concern or not, but really it's these, all these other systems that are playing into optimal fertility and, you know, optimal health overall. So, yeah.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a really beautiful part of a body systems approach and a really comprehensive preconception plan, which you and I, I think are so aligned in doing this really holistic approach. And you do such a great job educating about comprehensive lab testing in this arena, and especially to get to the bottom of a missing period. Will you talk us through some of the lab findings that might help you make a diagnosis of hypothalamic amenorrhea?:
1: Absolutely. Um, first and foremost, of course, like, I believe that the diagnosis should be based on, you know, a long conversation, really like an in-depth look at the history and the symptoms, which I know you agree with. Along with the lab testing, because the lab testing can, you know, doesn't always, it isn't always 100% clear. Um, Typically, though, what we're seeing in hypothalamic amenorrhea with our hormones is that things are sort of flatlined. So, again, our ovaries just aren't getting that hormonal response. Um, Our our HPA axis, our HPG axis, um, which is that hypothalamic pituitary gonadal um, axis, just isn't getting. The, the normal response going. So things like LH, FSH are gonna be low, estrogen, progesterone. Um, to kind of compare that to some other, you know, things that could be causing amenorrhea like PCOS. Uh, typically with PCOS, we're seeing an elevation at LH compared to FSH. Um, and then maybe some normal to high estrogen. Um, typically we're not having progesterone there if we're not ovulating. Um, and then things like premature ovarian insufficiency or uh, perimenopause, menopause will have an elevated FSH, um, maybe a normal or high LH depending and then a low estrogen. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And kind of tease apart.
0: Medicine is in large part pattern recognition. So I think this is starting to help us create those patterns, hormonal patterns in our mind. But I also think it's really important that you mentioned labs don't necessarily tell the whole story. We really want to consider, um, I've I've talked about this before, but one of my mentors says, let the patient's history unravel the mystery. Mm
1: -hmm. So there's
0: also this collection of everything that's happened to you, the timeline of your life, and also some physical exam can be helpful. And we really want to marry that with the lab findings. So I think that was so important that you mentioned that it's really that whole comprehensive plan So, okay, let's say we do our labs, we do our history, we do all the right things. And now we have this diagnosis of hypothalamic amenorrhea, and we really want to recover our period. We're ready to try to conceive. When you're working with a patient, what are some of the lifestyle factors that you think of first? Because of course, lifestyle factors are at the very foundation of our functional medicine treatment plan. So what's on the top of your list?
1: Yeah. So first and foremost, I'm talking about stress which we've talked about already here. Um, basically what I'm doing with patients is a stress inventory. So looking at the things that our body is perceiving as stress. So like, let's tally it all up, you know, the mental, emotional stress, the busyness, the work responsibilities, the family responsibilities, um, the way that we're talking to ourselves, the way that our mindset is, you know, are we having this constant, like, you know, barrage of like negative thoughts and emotions that we're just always, you know, trying to push through, um, looking at activity again, you know, those high intensity exercises, the type of movement we're getting, um, other hormetic stresses. So like if we're doing intermittent fasting or, you know, hot or cold exposure, which are, you know, great for a lot of people, but might be, you know, a stress, um, that can be adding into this. Um, as well as looking at other, you know, like systemic stressors on the body. So you talk a lot about oxidative stress, which is huge here, inflammation, looking for sources of, you know, physical stress on the body as well there. Um, and then comparing that to the things that are helping to counteract those stresses. So the way that we're resting, the way that we're nourishing ourselves, our sleep, um, you know, the community support that we have the joyful things that we're doing, you know, like are we getting enjoyment out of our work? Or are we getting enjoyment out of life? Um, are we having fun? Um, and really, again, comparing those things um, and really setting a plan to to have it be in a better balance. Um, you know, sometimes there's only so much we can do about the external stressors. But there's so much we can do about how we're handling stress, the mindfulness, all of that. Um, so that's really central. Um, And then, and then talking about, like you mentioned the energy expenditure versus the energy intake. So nutrition really having that paradigm shift of food, isn't just calories and bad foods. It's really nourishment, trying to focus on those really nourishing foods, really just trying to get as much food as our body needs. Um, And then really being more mindful about rest and you know, the way I describe it is um, I'll tell people it's like a pendulum where we've swung the pendulum too far one way and our body is getting this signal. We can't just come back to the middle into like this homeostasis and we're good. We really have to swing the pendulum the other way and like give our body all of the signs that we are safe. We have plenty of food. We have plenty of downtime, plenty of rest. Like it's all good. And then we can come back to you know, the center point. Um, so so really making sure that we're focusing on those. Um, and honestly, these pieces too, like it's so important to set up the lifelong success, the lifelong wellness, um, as well as prevent recurrence, because this can happen if we're like, like, okay, you know, I really hate the way my body looks. I really don't want to get fat, but I'm just gonna eat a little bit more to get pregnant. And then we get pregnant, it's like, okay, after that what next? Like, are we still in this depleted state? Are we still, you know, not doing the best things for our body? Um, so really that's where the, the mindset piece and, um, you know, really looking at, like, I love the way you described, like looking at your body in a different way and really focusing on fullness and nourishment, um, having that, that focus shift is really so important.
0: Yeah. Beautifully said. And especially headed in, you know, if you choose to breastfeed and the energy expenditure Mm -hmm. that that is having those healthy habits on lockdown so that you can stay nutrient replete while you're moving through that phase Mm -hmm. of life. I think that's so helpful to, to, to get ahead of that before you're
1: there. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, such a big part of it. Just preparing for lifelong health. Um, and yeah, that's where a lot of the, the nutrition and like nutrient checking um, as far as blood work is so important where it might not help with diagnosis necessarily, but getting the full picture and seeing what your body really needs for overall health is is so important for lifelong health.
0: Absolutely. And don't let me forget. I'm going to come back to this nutrient thing in just a moment, but mm-hmm. I have to, before we move on, I have to loop back to the to the exercise and the movement because I feel so excited about the popularity of a low intensity, steady state exercise. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's going on their walks and doing gentle bike rides. And I just feel like so, so many of us are relieved to have that be the trending thing to do more low intensity work and move your body intentionally and the appearance of this in pop culture is very exciting to me.
1: Yeah. The fact that you have to be killing yourself at the gym, you know, hating your workouts, that it just feels like torture in reality. We don't necessarily need that. <laughs> Probably like very few of us actually need that. What most of us need, like you said, is, you know, the nice walks out in nature, some mind body activities getting movement in our day you know definitely counteracting the sedentary lifestyles that a lot of us may have with work you know being in front of computers but focusing on on restorative movements is yeah so yeah. so important
0: restorative movement absolutely the other piece i wanted to ask you about is sometimes i will see patients who have really irregular cycles or they haven't had a cycle in a long time and they're Um, nurses who work the night shift or another profession where their circadian pattern is is just a little bit different than normal. Is that something that you see too? Because that's a big challenge when that's your lifestyle.
1: Yes, it's a huge challenge. And honestly, that's one area where I tell people if there is any way that you can get to a day shift, like get out of this, then do it. Especially if we're seeing something go wrong. Like their health is suffering in response to this because, you know, you get the same amount of sleep hours during the day. And it's just not the same. Like our, our body is just completely thrown off, especially when people are shifting back and forth from the night and day time. Yeah. It, our circadian rhythm is so important to our nervous system and to all of this that we've talked about this point. So, yeah.
0: That's my advice too. Is there anything we can do, especially when I see um, insulin resistance or just Mm -hmm. glucose dysregulation in general? It's so hard to get a a hold of those things when your light and darkness cues are funky. So, yes.
1: Yeah. And when they do, or if they are able to shift to a day schedule, then so often it's like, oh, okay, things just fall into place, and the things that we're doing can just have such a much more potent effect. So, yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, on this topic of nutrients and nutrition, you gave us a little preview here, but I really want to get your perspective on um, if your patient is dealing with hypothalamic amenorrhea, if there are some nutrients that you're first testing for and then what you find you're having to replete most often.
1: Yeah. Um, so as far as testing goes, I'm really testing for a lot of the same things for a lot of people, especially women concerned about the reproductive health. Um, you know, looking at some of the standard things like vitamin D, B vitamins, um, uh iron levels, they're ones that I see commonly deficient in, I mean, in pretty much all women in reproductive years. Um, and they're so important for fertility, healthy pregnancy, you know, the health of of the fetus and ba- future baby. Um so those are ones I'm really commonly looking at. Um and sometimes we'll do deeper, you know, mineral testing and stuff like um, with organic acid testing and, um, you know, Genova testing, I love doing. Um, as far as the nutrients that I'm focusing on, you know, those pieces, it's really whatever they need, let's replete it. Um, but as far as a diet goes, like really focusing on fats, um, I find to be super important because that's one area that tends to be really deficient in our diet. So like saturated fats, cholesterol, some of the things that maybe they're afraid of, Um, essential fatty acids, so like omega-3 fatty acids. Um, Those are things I'm definitely focusing on as well as fat soluble vitamins. So like vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin D, vitamin K. Um, I find that those ones tend to be really commonly deficient Um, as well as minerals in general. With a chronic stress state, minerals can really be depleted. and just, and and when I say chronic stress rate, I mean, even just the busyness that kind of goes into that category as well. So, so repleting minerals I find to be really important as well.
0: Yeah, this is funny. I i I've shared this before, but I did a NutraVal on myself, a Genova mm-hmm. NutraVal, and um, you get this report back and it tells you, you kind know, of the dose that is appropriate for you for many of the vitamins and minerals and my magnesium dose that I needed was so high. And I was thinking, I do all the right things and I take my vitamins and I eat the healthy foods, but I was so stressed out mm. and just depleting these nutrients so quickly. And it was extremely eye-opening. So yeah, yes, there's definitely yeah. value in taking a look, even if you think you're doing the right things at times.
1: Right. And that's where test don't guess comes in. You know, yes. while we talked about how important it is to not just be looking at testing. Um, it's also important to take a look, especially if, if things aren't working optimally, um, yeah. really looking deeper and seeing, cause you're absolutely right. It can be something that you're like, of course, like I'm a functional medicine doctor. I should have a great magnesium <laughs> level. And yeah, maybe not. Cause a lot of us yeah. just have higher needs. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Right we've talked about all of these lifestyle factors we can modify and we can do some things with our nutrition. So inevitably this question emerges. Okay. Well, how long is this going to take Dr. Naylor? Because I'm trying to have my period back yesterday. I'm ready to Mm -hmm. get pregnant in the real world. How do you frame this conversation with patients to try to set some healthy expectations?
1: Yeah. So of course I'm always talking about that's individualized we're each unique human beings and it depends on all the factors that are going on and what led us to the point we're at um with that said depending you know and of course it depends on how dedicated someone is too um and i well i shouldn't say dedicated we call it in in the ha world it's called like going all in so basically like all the rest getting all the food um and so you shouldn't use the word like dedication or like, cause it can depend on, on the struggle that someone's having and all the factors that are there for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're able to just really like, okay, you know, take a leave of absence from work, you know, really just stop exercising or at least like the more strenuous exercise really nourish themselves, um, then it'll definitely go faster maybe like I'd say on average for my patients about three to six months to recover their period. Um, again, and, and that's where that depends and it depends too on like if there is something major going on, which sometimes happens, like their gut is just a total mess or they can't tolerate any foods. That's going to be a different story maybe. And that will maybe take a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, looking at those individual factors.
0: Super realistic. And of course, everything is individualized and we that's what we do in functional medicine. We create precise and personalized treatment plans. And I'll just give an example. I had a a patient who taught cycling classes. Like that is how she made a living. And she was saying, Mm -hmm. I am trying so hard to eat enough food to compensate for all this movement, but I can't stop teaching classes. I just, Mm -hmm. that's how I make money. And so you have to figure out then- how to work with it. It's the real world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know I've had patients in that same exact situation. I think it's a really common one and exactly. It's like, okay, well, where can we really nourish you even more? Where can we really like have that mindfulness piece or more rest days, whatever we can do. Yeah.
0: Totally. As we think about the timeline, I think a natural question that comes up is I did my labs and now I've been implementing this treatment plan. When should I repeat to see if I'm on the right track?
1: Yeah, typically I'm repeating testing in about um like about three two to three months uh, after the initial testing. Again, depends on what we're retesting, um, but that's usually a good time frame to say like you know check back in on the vitamin D after we've we've been repleting it. Check back in on the hormones to see what's happening there, depending on what symptoms they're having and everything.
0: I think labs can be. So motivating. It's so nice to see how your hard work is paying off. And so I know patients really look to when can I repeat because it's so validating at times. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And so often, you know, I always encourage people to get in tune with their own body and their own, you know, Mm
0: -hmm. their body
1: signs of what it needs, but absolutely being able to marry that with the actual data and give people the right, you know, sometimes it's the motivation they need or the validation, like you said, um, to just be able to see the numbers and really know for sure. It's like, it just allows us to be so much more clear on what we're doing and more targeted. So absolutely really helpful.
0: It's hard work. It can be Mm -hmm. hard work and it feels good to know that it's doing something.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it can feel like such a, a vacuum where they're just doing it and they're like, okay, you know, what's happening? I don't know. And so absolutely being able to say, okay, no, you're getting there. Things are improving. And usually it's like the next month they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I got a period or I got like, you know, egg white cervical mucus or some sign that, that things are on the right track. And finally they're like, oh, okay. Okay. I can see it now.
0: I had a patient say to me, how do we not yet have the technology that my ovaries can just text me and let me know what's going on with my <laughs> hormones? Well, we're getting closer every
1: day, so just staying there. I love that. I love that. Be like, "Oh, oh yeah, just just checking in." Yeah, that would be very nice. <laughs> to simplify things.
0: Very nice. Sometimes I put out Q&As on my Instagram and I had a really good question come in from a podcast listener that I wanted to Throw your way because it's really, really relevant. And she said, I have a history of hypothalamic amenorrhea, but I've worked really hard to recover my period. And now I'm thinking about trying to get pregnant. Should I be concerned about a thin endometrial lining after having low hormones for so long? What are your thoughts?
1: That's a great question. My answer is no. Like, if your hormones are on track now, Things are going well, you will likely not have an issue at all with your endometrial lightning. Um, again, to kind of circle back to what we talked about before, my biggest concern in that situation would be the nutrients and just checking in that you're in a repleted state, that those things, you know, have been addressed, um, because that can have a bigger effect um, if you're just if you've been so depleted, because we absolutely can recover a period and still be really depleted. Um, but as far as endometrial lightning goes, nope. That should be good.
0: Rejoice, recovery mm-hmm. from your missing period is possible. Absolutely, Thank you for that. I really love that we're focusing on going back to my midwife's advice to start from this place of fullness, like we said, because it sets us up for success throughout pregnancy and beyond. And I think that that's just really healthy to shift that conversation and that thought process to this isn't just about getting pregnant, but I'm really now going to be able to model these lifestyle factors for my family too. So just keep coming back to how important that work is.
1: Absolutely. I, I find it to be such a, an important time. And one of the reasons I love working with it so much is that it's such an incredible opportunity to, to set them up and, and, you know, restore their health and, you know, set them up for good health. And we'll tell people is like, It takes a lot out of you literally to create a human being. So, you know, one child, two children in, and you've already, like you started in depleted state, it's, it's a lot. And so, you know, we see a lot of health issues come up in moms and there, some of them can really be prevented by starting with a nourished full state, like you said. Um, So absolutely. I find it so important.
0: That uh, my midwife, who clearly is full of sound bites that are just emerging, me, <laughs> she said to me, "You know, if your if your child ever talks back to you, you have this comeback always that I built your skeleton with the calcium from my own bloodstream." <laughs> and so yeah. I've used that one before because it's so true. There's this transfer of nutrition when we're growing this human, so we got to have those tools ready to go.
1: Absolutely. And I think too, like in this conversation, talking about, again, you know, coming from a state of restricting our body and trying to mold our body into what we want it to look like. And it's, it really is a big paradigm shift for a lot of us to think about our body as like, it's just this nourishing vessel and, and this place where in reality, your future baby wants to just like snuggle in and doesn't care if you have a belly pooch or whatever it is. And so again, like having that shift in mindset towards this body is not just to look good or whatever, you know, we tell ourselves, it's really to create a human being. If that's our goal and, and to feel good and, you know, do these other things that we want to do. So, yeah.
0: I love that image. On that note, as we come to the close of our episode, I always like to ask some fun questions so that we can get to know you and just hear some fun insights. So are you ready for my fun questions of the day? So my first question is, we're in the kitchen. It's the morning time. We got to make a fertility friendly breakfast. What are you cooking up?
1: Yeah. Well, for me, it's all about blood sugar. I've got to have some good blood sugar balancing foods in the morning to set myself up for a good day. Um, so protein fats and fiber, um, on like, you know, if I had my choice of anything, it'd be like a big scramble or frittata with like tons of veggies and avocado. If it's a quick morning, maybe it'll just be some eggs (laughs) and some sausage or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's really my, that's my favorite.
0: Well, as a, chicken and duck mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very rich in eggs right now. I think that is the perfect breakfast. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I like how you kind of highlighted that it doesn't have to be anything complicated. Put some veggies and some eggs in a pan. You're good to go.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Even if it's like, you know, people struggle to get veggies, of course, with breakfast, but it's like, grab a little bit of like spring mix or something, you know, throw some, some color on your plate, munch on a carrot or something, you know, it, it doesn't have to be Instagram worthy or complicated.
0: My breakfasts are v- very rarely yes. Instagram worthy,
1: but I Agreed. also want to
0: put a, give a shout out to leftover dinner vegetables mm-hmm.
1: yes, in your true. eggs the next oh. morning. Yes, that is the best. I agree. The best <laughs>
0: we've talked so much about supporting our nervous system as we head into our preconception time frame. So I just want to hear from you. What is one self-care practice that you're really focusing on for yourself this year?
1: Yeah, well, definitely this year is like the year of nervous system regulation for me. (laughs) I mean, I think for so many of my patients too, like post pandemic, you know, getting everything back online. Um, So that's definitely a big focus in general for me. I would say though, one of the biggest ones for me this year is just like listening to how I'm talking to myself the things I'm telling myself and what my body really needs. Um, so for example, not just going with the laundry list of shoulds that I have, like I should be eating this way. I should be meditating more. I should be whatever. And really tuning into like, why, why do I want to do that? Why do I really need this? What's my really, my true priority. Cause again, I will just go with all of those shoulds and like get buried in the weeds um, so really focusing on like, what's my priority? What's the most important thing? What's the thing that I need to focus on now to get me to where I want to be? That's really been one of my biggest self-care focuses this year.
0: Clearly, you have received the same advice of someone saying, You've got to stop shooting on yourself. Yep.
1: Right? Yeah. yeah, you'll
0: you'll never forget it when you say it like that all the time. I shoulds. know,
1: right? I totally agree. Yeah. So many of us, like, high achieving type A people were, you know, we can become successful with some patterns that are still like maladaptive in other ways. So yeah, we're pushing ourselves, we're, we're driven, but it can get a little too much. So yeah, trying to scale it back a little bit and really, again, prioritize and really just focus on, on putting more energy toward the things that are the most important.
0: Absolutely. Well, I so appreciate you choosing to spend time with us and share all of these amazing insights. It's been such a pleasure and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to chat. Thank you for being on the show.
1: Of course. Absolutely. It was definitely my pleasure.
0: To our listeners, thank you so much for choosing again to prioritize this time and to learn all about supporting your fertility to our amazing producer, Paola Martini. We are so grateful to put on the show. We'll see you next time. Did you love this episode and want to hear more? Head over to drkaliawattlescom slash podcast where you can find more episodes on all things fertility.